James Tyndall with Cold-Blooded Publishing. The Reptile Living Room is brought to you by Herp House Magazine, the premier digital magazine for the reptile hobbyist. And by Cold-Blooded Publishing, your exclusive reptile media publishing company. Now, here are John and James in the Reptile Living Room. Hello and welcome to the Reptile Living Room. I'm your host, uh, John F. Taylor, and over there is my co-host, uh, James Tennell. How you doing, everybody? So, James, talk to us about uh, how we're going to run through uh, how the show runs. All right. Well, first off, if you're watching us on YouTube, I'm going to show you how to interact with everybody on the panel and the host. So here we go. If you're watching this on YouTube, right below they have the comment section on YouTube. You just go ahead and post your comments and your questions down there. It will automatically come to my screen and I'll be able to see and share those comments. Um, if you're watching us on Google+, same thing. Underneath the event page, there's a comment section and you can go ahead and post there. Um, lastly, which we didn't drive very much traffic to this time, was Facebook. You can also post your comments on the Facebook page. And let's see here. So that's pretty much it. I would like any live viewers, if you want, go ahead and post your name, say hi. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, make sure all the technology works. Uh, it has been tested. Um, but it hasn't been totally proved out yet. So um, looking forward to hearing from all our live viewers. And, John, what a great show we have tonight, huh? Oh, man, it's unbelievable, Jims. Um, we have an incredible lineup of guests. We have so far uh, that we've definitely confirmed and have online with us tonight is Denise, and I know I'm going to murder your last name, and I totally apologize in advance. I've always pronounced it as Abreu. And that's probably horribly wrong, and I'm sorry, and I'm forever your debt for that. Um, she is actually the first person to ever produce captive coral snakes. Uh, she hails from the southern United States, where her career began early in the 2000s. Uh, since that time, she's appeared on numerous media outlets regarding various aspects of herpeticulture and herpetology. And there's some talk about a new calendar with her involved, I believe. Welcome to the show, Denise. How bad did I murder your last name? You actually did a perfect job. That's actually awesome. exceptional. Usually nobody can say it right. Um, and actually, I started saying it just to cater to people. I started saying a brew, like a brew beer. <laughs> but uh, but a brew works better. That's that's the real that's the real way to, to uh, actually pronounce it. So you did good. Thank you, John. Awesome. Very cool. And then we have... Um, Melissa Walker, I believe, uh, did make it tonight, didn't she, James? Yes, she did. She's on the panel. Okay, very good. And she is the owner of Sublime Reptiles in Ohio. Um, and this is something that kind of blew me away. As if owning and breeding reptiles wasn't enough, in Melissa's spare time, she enjoys working two full-time jobs, doing R&D work for the Andersons Incorporated, currently holding an associate's degree as well as a bachelor's degree, in biology with plans to return to receive her associates in chemistry 
as well as looking to pursue a master's degree in a few fields such as, a, you know, environmental science, ecology, or earth science. And she also works uh, part-time at a local pet store as well. Wow. Welcome to the show, Melissa Walker. <laughs> Thank you. I don't actually work two full-time jobs. I have two jobs. The one is full-time, and that's where I do my lab work, and then my part-time job is at pet store. Okay, gotcha. Now that makes sense. Phew, I was going to say, that's crazy. <laughs> yeah, I'm definitely a glutton for punishment. Yeah, evidently so. As is our next guest, um, uh, doc, uh, the now uh, uh, much-esteemed Dr. Melissa Coakley, uh, probably one of the most avid field herpers I've known to date. Uh, she's been working with reptiles alongside her husband now for the past decade. Uh, together, they own the Redfoot Ranch in Florida and work with various types of reptiles, including rattlesnakes, monitors, colubrids, and, of course, tortoises. Uh, she recently attained her doctorate in philosophy. Welcome to the show, uh, Dr. Coakley. Good to have you aboard. Thanks, John. There <laughs> you go. <laughs> so where's, uh, where have you been field herping lately? Oh, man, unfortunately, I haven't left the state much this year. This has been such a busy year so far. Oh. Um, but this weekend, Bill and I are celebrating our first wedding anniversary, so we'll be doing some herping. Awesome. Very cool. Congratulations. And, yeah, no kidding, huh? You know, and what's funny, too, is there's a story that I'll have uh, Melissa tell a little bit later, possibly, about how she, I think it was you almost missed a wedding because of field herping, wasn't it? Something that's like that? true, yeah. Yeah, that's priceless. <laughs> and um, her next guest has actually recently received um, just a phenomenal amount of honors. Uh, Faith Stokes has been one of the upcoming stars in Venom Research Area where she's continually uh, receiving awards and honors. Hailing from Georgia, and I say Georgia because I'd murder the name of her hometown. Uh, Faith is a full-time warrior, no two ways about it. She's a mom, full-time student, and did I mention she plays with Venom. Uh, she currently holds a Bachelor's of Science in Biology with a minor in Chemistry and an Associate's in Psychology. And then she's going on to grab her doc doctorate in, well, she calls it physical therapy. I call it physical torture, but, you know, whatever. Uh, welcome to the show, Faith. Good to have you aboard the panel. How are you tonight? You have to turn your mic back on, Faith. <laughs> All right. Still have it muted. Where's Joey? <laughs> <laughs> Joey, come here and unmute the mic. All right, let's give Faith a few more minutes. And, and, when and, Faith gets her mic unmuted, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll help her out with that in a minute. Um, we also have Melissa Amarello um, from Arizona, <coughs> and she's been doing a lot of studies on the social lives of rattlesnakes, and I've actually interviewed Melissa before, and there's been some new research that's come out, and I think she's published... Um, I think she's actually published the paper now uh, on her research that she was doing out there at, you know, if I'm not mistaken, it's Muleshoe Ranch, isn't it, Melissa? 
Yeah, hopefully my mic's on. Um, I was working at Muleshoe Ranch. We haven't actually published anything from Muleshoe yet, but I did finish my master's, which was the first bit of social information to be published. Awesome. And publish master's thesis. <laughs> gotcha. Very cool. Yeah, and just the whole research project that you guys had going out there was just, it's so amazing. Some of the behaviors that you got these actually caught on film was just unbelievable. Just really great stuff. Really looking forward to you know hearing your experiences again tonight with the uh, rest of the panel. Now, James, did I miss anybody? Let's see. We got uh, Denise Abreu, uh, Faith Stokes, Melissa Copley, Melissa Amarello, and Melissa Walker. And then, of course, uh, our executive producer over there, Chad Burns. Chad, how are you tonight, sir? Pretty good if I can get this technology working. <laughs> <laughs> Our executive producers having technology problems. <laughs> Imagine that. Right. It booted me out right when we went live, and now I can't open any apps. So, oh my gosh! <laughs> oh wow! Yeah, Actually, the technology is supposed to make our life easier. It just makes it work yeah. sometimes, you know. Yep. We actually had one more guest on the panel, but unfortunately she wasn't feeling well. Courtney Stott of Cold-Blooded Vixens. We wish her the best. Um, hopefully we'll be able to get her on a future show. Um, looking forward to that. Courtney, take care. I think you're watching, so um, hope you feel better. All right, John. Oh, uh, one thing, James, before I let you go to the news. Uh, just no, you can't. You can't. Oh, come on. Just once. Just yeah, once. go ahead. Okay. Just one thing. Huge shout-out to uh, Sir David Attenborough. Today is his birthday. One of the best naturalists uh, walking the face of the planet. The guy is awesome. Uh, there's actually some drinking games associated with uh, Attenborough documentaries. I haven't tried any of them yet, but I hear they're really fun. So I think one of these shows, we should do that. We should have a drinking game where we're doing Attenborough documentary and uh, – do the drinking game with that. So anyway, James, what do we got in the uh, reptile news arena? Well, first off, we got a um, guest from last week. She actually posted on YouTube. Christine, want to say hello to you. Um, thanks for watching the show. Did great last week. Um, so now we go into reptile news. Our great positive news for the week. Boy, th this is getting harder and harder to dig up. All I keep seeing... All I keep seeing is uh, negative news, negative news. So, uh, but we got a few. We got a few good ones. Actually, this one's not positive or negative. Um, there was actually an alligator found in somebody's yard in Missouri City, Texas. Some of the actual people that were in this article. <laughs> It was unbelievable some of the stuff they said. I've seen alligators in the lake over there plenty of times, but this is the first one I've seen in somebody's front yard. Well, if it's a lake behind the house, what may, why wouldn't you see it in the front yard or in the backyard? I don't know. Anyway, it was pretty cool. They had a short little video on it. People were driving by, couldn't see it. They thought it was uh, this most horrible thing. Um, anyway, it was picked up and released. It wasn't killed, so... Um, and that was actually pretty good. So that's our first one. Let's go to our second one here. This one I actually pulled off my Facebook page this morning. I thought it was pretty interesting. Um, 
I guess uh, Applied Wildlife uh, Conservation Labs found uh, an epic battle between a corn snake and a black racer. Um, apparently, the corn snake grabbed the black racer by the head and uh, constricted it till death and then just left it there. Um, if you go to my Facebook page or if you go to uh, the event page on Facebook, um, you can see that. And once again, that's Applied Wildlife Conservation Labs. Um, that was on their status. So check it out. It was a pretty cool picture. Any thoughts on that, John? Little baby corn snake killing a black racer. I thought it was pretty neat. Yeah, it's pretty wild. <laughs> I've seen, you know, I've seen some pretty bizarre stuff, though, so. Chad, meet you your mic. Thank you. <laughs> All right, we were flopping back and forth there for a while. Sorry about that, guys. All right, here's a story that I was, I've actually been following for many some time. I'm actually a Kluber guy. Um, I operate Tremendous Tricolors, and I'm actually pretty much Lamper Peltis is my whole collection. And, and this story is kind of, kind of hits home. Um, I guess Grand uh, Canaria, about, I think it was about 20, 15, 20 years ago, they found the first king snakes on the island. Um, in the last eight years, they've caught 2,000 king snakes. They're afraid on this island if these king snakes keep multiplying that they're going to wipe out the giant lizard off the island. Um, it's tough. It's tough seeing uh, um, king snakes, you know, invasive species, and, and a California king snake nonetheless um, invade an island that had no no snakes at all, and no natural known predators. Um, the weirdest part is 20% of the population is actually amelanistic. So they're surviving on this island in amelanistic form. It's a great story. Check out the link. Um, a lot of information. And actually, go support Life plus Lampropeltis. It'll help eradicate... Um, these snakes on the island. There's a few guys that I know um, that have tried to help them out. I think Brian Hines is over there now helping them track down and, and show them how to capture these snakes. Um, pretty good project. I've been following this story for years. It's uh, pretty sad. but so. And I have actually two more news stories. Vermont. Actually, this is like a public announcement for Vermont. They actually came out and said, watch where you drive. So they want you to be careful of where you're driving because this time of year, frogs, salamanders, turtles, they're all crossing the road. If you happen to see any of the animals crossing the road, they actually said you're willing to get out if it's safe to help the animal across the road. And in there they said if it's a, a snapping turtle, it's easier just to push it along with the with a shovel, so I thought that was pretty good public announcement out of Vermont, um, and, and that pretty much goes across all the United States since we've been warming up. Um, be careful out there so we don't smash all our. Our last one. I have to put this one out there. This one is Snake Days. I don't know if anybody's been there. 
Um, Snake Days is coming. It's out in West Texas in Sanderson. It's on May 30th, 31st, and June 1st. If you guys can make it out there, great. Support such a good um, herping time. I mean, they have lectures. They have food. They have uh, herping events, trash pickup. Um, unfortunately, last year I wasn't able to make it. This year I'm not going to be able to make it. So I'm going to try to dedicate myself to go out there next year. Um, hopefully so. A shout out to Jeff Adams. He does great work with uh, Snake Days. So um, if you have a chance, make it out there. And that's it. That's wrapping it up on uh, Reptile News. So what we're going to do now, guys, John, um, we're going to go ahead and take a, a little three-minute commercial break. Um, and we'll come back and answer any questions that anybody's posted. Shout outs to anybody. Um, looking forward to seeing what everybody's posted. Sounds good. All right. About three minutes. Hey, Faith, is your microphone on?
Hi, John. Whenever you're ready, back from the break. Alrighty. So here we are uh, once again in the reptile living room. Welcome back, everyone. <coughs> We're here tonight with uh, Denise Abreu, uh, Melissa Amarello, Melissa Coakley, Melissa Walker, uh, James Tennell over there, my co-host, and our executive producer, of course, Chad Burns. He's the bald guy over there with beard. Um, so basically, uh, it's just kind of an open panel, really. We have a uh, chat room that's open on all the social networks as well as Q&As uh, streaming live from uh, YouTube and various the other various social networks. So basically, we're going to open it up with uh, basically asking the ladies, how did you first discover your interest in reptiles? Um, and to piggyback on that question, uh, James wanted to ask, as well, I think, uh, what did your moms uh, think about your discovery that you were interested in reptiles? Um, so whoever wants to take that first, do you want to start with Den uh, Denise first and then go on over from there? Yeah, that's fine. Oh. Okay. So Denise, how did you first uh, discover your interest in reptiles and what was your mom's feelings about you being interested in reptiles? Oh my goodness. Um... Believe it or not, uh, I was bitten by an eastern diamondback rattlesnake at a very young age when we moved to the United States. And, um, of course, any normal human being, after being bitten, uh, I should have had a fear, but instead um, I became very, very interested in the animal. So um, for many years I just, you know, read books and anything I could get in my hand that um, had anything to do with venomous snakes, specifically the eastern diamondback rattlesnake. So um, so back in 2002, I finally uh, told my parents uh, and decided that's what I want to do, full-time, 100% venom production, which is what I have been doing for the past 15 years almost. So, um, But... My mom wouldn't come to my house for many, many years. <laughs> snakes and rattlesnakes in the garage, um, snakes all over the house, um, and of course now, uh, you know, still, still to this day, you know, I keep a couple of ball pythons and stuff at the house. So um, she doesn't like it. They, they don't like it. They, you know, and and of course they've seen me uh, get hurt. Um, uh, I've had, uh, unfortunately, a couple of snake bites, and uh, they've been by my side, and they, they absolutely 100% don't agree with it. So so uh, it's always a struggle. So anytime you know, I have a sputter, anytime something happens, of course my parents are, you know, go to war with me and, you know, just say, you know, it's either us or the snakes. Yeah. And I always pick the snakes. <laughs> Unfortunately, <laughs> so yeah, it's usually the way it that's works. That's how I way. got into reptiles. So it's a, it's now a disease. It's wow. uh, mostly venomous, though. Like uh, my interest is is mostly in venomous snakes. So you know, venom production is it's my main uh, line of work. Right, right. You know, and that's really awesome because a lot of the um, a lot of our guests tonight are actually involved in venom. Uh, either venom production or venom collection. Some, in some way or fashion, they're all involved in collecting venomous snakes or collecting venom itself, so this is really cool. 
So um, yeah, it was actually when you were introducing everybody. Um, you know, I'm, I'm so happy to see all these women uh, doing so much research with venom. You know, it's it's wonderful. I'm 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 a farmer. I'm step one in you know getting the venom to everybody and getting the venom to the people. So it's really it's really nice to see that all these young ladies you know are are doing such awesome work work and uh, research with venom. So very true, very true. Now, uh, next guest I'd like to bring on would be um, Melissa Amarello. Uh, from Arizona, how did you first discover your interest in reptiles, and uh, what did your mom think about it? Um, well, my story is pretty different than Denise's. Um, I thankfully did not come into this through a fight. That's very dramatic, but I'm glad. Uh, I have been interested in snakes pretty much ever since I can remember, since I was really young. Um, and my parents were actually pretty cool about it. I think my dad has two daughters, so I think he was really glad that one turned out to be a total tomboy, and my little sister is a ballerina, so he got his little girl, and he got his little tomboy girl, and he was instrumental in convincing my mom to let me keep stuff when I wanted to keep stuff as a child. Um, but yeah, I, that, was, that was basically how it started, and they've been pretty supportive of my career as it's been, if they don't always understand what I do, they think it's cool. I think, you know, both of them like telling everybody that they have a crazy daughter that works with rattlesnakes. That's awesome. Parents are proud. <laughs> and uh, so our next guest, uh, Faith, did you actually get your uh, microphone working? Maybe not yet. Okay, we're going to take that as a no. Um, let's see, we've got um, Melissa Amarello, um, Denise Abreu, uh, Melissa Coakley. Let's talk to you about how you first discovered your interest in reptiles and what your mom thought about this uh, interest in reptiles. I don't know, is she even there? Oh, there she is. Oh, yeah, sorry. <laughs> so um, my parents were really not too excited about the yeah, whole reptile thing, and supportive of just about everything I've been into. They would not allow a reptile in the house, so that was a big battle. As um, soon as I moved out, I, I bought a tegu. I bought a Colombian tegu, and uh, the rest is history. Now I'm completely overboard, and every room of the house is uh, filled. Wow, <laughs> that's crazy. And so our next guest would be uh, Melissa Walker. Uh, if you could tell us how you first discovered your interest in reptiles and uh, what your mom thought about it. Oh, mom and dad did not like it at all. <laughs> <laughs> not approving, eh? No. Growing up, our town has been known as Frog Town because it was once a swamp, so we used to have tons of frogs and toads everywhere. So. I was constantly bringing home frogs and toads to drive my mom absolutely bonkers to keep in the backyard for a couple of days before she's like, let them go. So that's basically what would happen. And then every summer we would go up to the lake and then that would turn into no longer frogs. that would catch all the turtles and snakes I could possibly find and keep them for the week while we were on vacation. And basically once I was allowed to actually have reptiles, 
I just sorry. Um, I just went overboard and just bought everything I feel like I possibly have. Was that a duck? Uh, <laughs> that was the alarm on my phone. The duck. <laughs> oh. Okay. Awesome. I thought I heard a duck. I was like, "Wow, where did that duck come from?" No, I don't have a duck. I have a parrot, but I don't have a duck. Uh, <laughs> wow, that's a pretty. Yeah, it's a pretty cool story, Melissa. It kind of reminds me of my own because I used to put them in my pants pocket. And forget about them, and then put my pants in the dirty laundry. And when my mom used to go wash clothes that that night or the next morning, she would have a bunch of frogs jumping out of the dirty clothes hamper. So um, that's kind of how how that started for me. Wow! And uh, Jimmy, did I see right? We had uh, Lindsay join us. Yes, we have, uh, since Courtney wasn't feeling well, we have Lindsay Perez Lopez joining us from New Mexico. Um, Lindsay, can you say hi? Go ahead and talk. Okay. So she's going to fill in for Courtney Stott and uh, join the panel with us. She's out of New Mexico. She runs a pet store, and she also works with Courtney at Cold-Blooded Vixens. So um, we'll go ahead and add her into the panel discussion as well. Awesome. Is her uh, mic working now? Or? No. Let me hang on one second here because I may need to do something. Go ahead and follow up, John, and I'm going to see if I can get her mic working. Okay. So the next question for the panel would be... Um, now, is there a certain story that you and your mother laugh at now but wasn't so funny when you were younger as far as uh, your reptile interests? Like, you know, for example, Denise's uh, story about, you know, being envenomated, I can, I'm pretty confident saying that that wasn't a uh, great memory for, uh, for mom on that occasion. <laughs> what is no, mom? Uh, Go ahead. Not at all. I... But I, I did keep a ball python under the bed for many years that they didn't know of. <laughs> now I'm she's still really mad. <laughs> so I think that's probably one of the funniest thing ever. That's awesome. I think a lot of us have done that before, too. So, um, you know, bringing animals into the house. My dad was a huge advocate of teaching me how to sneak them in without her knowing. Oh my gosh, now you're going to get that in trouble. <laughs> yeah, we'd sneak in any any animal, rabbits, dogs, crabs, and whatever we could find. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> That's wild. So Melissa, what, what's one of the fondest memories uh, for you and your mom as far as anything uh, involving reptiles that you can remember? Um, yeah, actually... Um, when I finally uh, opened, uh, I, I'm an ex-founder, I, I founded a, a serpentarium in uh, Deland, Florida, in a venom uh, production laboratory, but the best, the best memory was when my mom actually touched a ball python, and uh, uh, she laughed about it, and, uh, and it was great. It was a pie ball. Ball python, obviously. I had to make it really. I got. I had to get a pretty one, 
so that way she would be able to uh, even consider touching it. So I think that's probably the best memory I have with with my mom and reptiles. So and you know my my dad, they don't like watching me handle the animals. So when we would do the live venom shows, you know my mom would cover her eyes. But now you know she's she's a little better now. She can actually watch me and um, they actually kind of I guess support my my uh, my job of duty. Very cool. Now, uh, Melissa Amarillo, any uh, fond memories of mom and reptiles at all for you that you laugh about now? Yeah, although I actually laughed about this one at the time, too. Um, and I don't, my mom didn't. And like I said, they were always really supportive, but this was, I guess, past bleh, going over the line. Um, one of the first pet snakes I had escaped around Thanksgiving and was gone for six weeks or so, so all through the holidays and like nobody would come over to our house that year for Christmas and um, when this, when the, my snake showed up she reappeared on my mom's nightstand and she was going to bed so she lays down in her bed and, and it wasn't a big snake, it was a rat snake who was just like staring my mom in the eyes right in her face and she didn't like the snakes that much so that was kind of a little much, and now she thinks it's funny, and she loves telling that story, but, yeah, at the time, it was upsetting. <laughs> I bet. I bet. I couldn't imagine waking up, being my mom, waking up, staring at a snake. My mom would have flipped. Yeah, just a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I had to wait. I had to wait till I got older to have snakes in the house. I couldn't even have a turtle in the house. So, but I couldn't imagine that. That's a cool story. No kidding. Now, uh, do we get Lindsay's microphone working? We think. Lindsay, hey. mic working? Is it working? It is. It is. Yeah, How are you? Awesome. We got Lindsay's mic working. Lindsay, welcome to the show. Uh, now you are. Uh, Part founder of Cold-Blooded Vixen, is that correct? Yes, I'm a, I am a co-administrator uh, to help Courtney with the absolutely huge overflow of submissions that, that we get every day. Awesome. Very cool. And explain to us a little bit about what uh, Cold-Blooded Vixens does or is and what have you. For our well, basically, basically, Courtney created Cold-Blooded Vixens. Uh, uh, she was talking about, uh, she's really big into photography and she really likes photography. Um, and she's also really into uh, reptiles. So one day she was talking to a friend of hers, and they just said one day, you know what, Courtney, why don't you just create a page that's dedicated uh, to photography and reptiles and women and, you know, and so on and so forth. And she created it, and it became absolutely huge. Uh, the biggest thing I think about cold-blooded vixens is uh, not only does it recognize um, the absolutely uh, amazing and beautiful nature of the animals themselves and the women or even sometimes men uh, that are modeling with them is that we also do other days um, for those who are not uh, who don't have professional photos uh, by a photographer um, and we do like selfie Sundays where you know your normal uh, plain Jane every plain Jane everyday girl can take a photo of herself uh, with their reptile and, and they get posted on the page and with you know almost 10,000 followers um, and that's a, that's pretty huge exposure and, and I think that helps tie um, the 
the reptile community together. Uh, and, and another thing that we also do is uh, children. And, and that's really positive, especially with all the negative news and media that we get uh, as far as, you know, uh, like the other day I read an article in uh, Scottsdale, Arizona, um, an Argentine tavy was loose and they're saying it's vicious and this, that, and the other. Yeah, and we all know that that's, you know, 100% not true. Um, but the thing about it is, is that we can show that that children uh, can respond extremely well to exotic pets just as well as they uh, respond to having dogs and cats. Um, we also do, uh, you know, disabled. Um, we'll dedicate it to a disabled, to, you know, children with disabilities or people with disabilities. And um, I myself, I have a four-year-old son who is autistic, and he does uh, really well. Um, his favorites are snakes. And there's just something about snakes that he just absolutely loves. So it gives us an opportunity to kind of reach out to the community and a bunch of, you know, a, a whole lot of different uh, avenues um, and kind of trying to include everyone uh, instead of just sticking with just professional photography and whatnot. Great. Selfie Sundays. Wow. That kind of goes with what we were talking about, John, the other day. I wanted to do the snakey pics where they held the snake yeah. up and had their head in the background. Yeah, exactly. Snakey pics, selfie Sundays. Now, do you get a lot of submissions from children? or? Um, we actually do. Um, we get a lot of submissions uh, mainly from the parents of their children, um, and, and they're pretty much trying to – um, do the, the same thing that we're trying to do. Pretty much put out there that these animals are not, um, you know, dangerous or scary or anything like that. You know, like we've all been raised to believe. Um, my mother, uh, you know, being one, she's absolutely terrified of pretty much everything in my store. Uh, she did come to visit. She spent very little time in there. Uh, you know, but see, I was raised that way. So in the beginning, I did kind of have somewhat of a fear because I was not uh, exposed to that when I was younger. So we do get a lot of submissions from parents of their children, and, and I think it, it puts uh, her pediculture in general in a positive light. Great. Great. Very cool. Very cool. And speaking of her pediculture in a positive light, um, the next question I'd like to bring up to the panel would be, um, when you first got into reptiles, did you encounter any challenges that you feel were a direct result of your gender? Uh, Melissa Walker, would you like to take the... Uh, first shot at that question? I've actually been pretty lucky. Everything has more or less been pretty positive for me, except, you know, sometimes you get in little catty arguments with people in the community. But in general, in, you know, my own personal community home and with friends, everybody accepted me as, you know, being weird already as it was. And just adding on to the liking the reptiles thing, I think uh, most of them knew it was going to happen eventually at some point in time that I was going to be or those people who went after something that was a little bit different than just your normal cat-dog pet. Um, but as a community and whole of reptiles, you know, I was pretty embraced fairly well. I don't think it was because of any particular thing about me in particular, um, but maybe it was just because I was in communities that were just more open to the female public instead of just snakes. You know, girls generally like geckos and dirty dragons, so therefore, you know, there's more girls in that community, so it's much more accepting. Gotcha. Very true. Now, James, did you want to go to break immediately now? or No. As soon as we're done with the panel on this round, okay, we'll go ahead and take a break because I'm starting to stack up with Q&A. So <laughs> after the break, then we'll start going to uh, question and answers. So. Okay. Very cool. Not a problem. I can do that. 
And uh, Melissa Coakley, as far as uh, your experiences, when you uh, first got into reptiles, did you encounter any uh, challenges you felt were a direct result of being a woman? You know, not really as far as being a hobbyist, but um, definitely with field, you know, sort of a need to prove myself kind of and, and things like that. Hobbyist, I, I find that there are a lot of women involved, my herp society, the board, um, so that's pretty cool. There's, you know, my old job I used to actually... Uh, run into, I think, more guys that were a little bit afraid of snakes than 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 women. So um, luckily it's been pretty positive, but I guess for me I've always kind of been into maybe the boys club with philosophy and like listening to old thrash metal. I kind of, you know, already had that background of being into stuff that wasn't so feminine. <laughs> so that, that helped out a lot. Yeah, something about, uh, you know, wearing the Venom t-shirts and the thrash metal bands, you know, when you're out field hurt, but I think that would, uh, that definitely probably gathered some attention, I would think. Uh, yeah, I, I guess, I think I've told you this story before, but probably the one thing that sticks out is being out field herping, and uh, I was the only female on this particular trip, and one of the guys, I was mentioning my uh, trip to Peru where I found a caiman lizard, which was a big highlight for me, and uh, the guy just would not accept that I actually knew what I was talking about, and he kept saying, don't you mean a gecko? Aren't you talking about a gecko? And I was like, no, man, I actually am talking about a caiman lizard. So uh, that always sticks out for some reason. Yeah. But now he's a, he's a good friend now, so we're over that. <laughs> <laughs> Too funny. Isn't that how it always works, though? Yeah. Start off on the bad foot and wind up on the good one. Yeah, you know. Now, uh, Leslie, as far as... Uh, oh, hey, Bill. How you doing, sir? <laughs> uh, Lindsay, what, what was your experiences as far as uh, being a female in her pediculture? Do you think there was any uh, aspects where... Uh, you encounter misogyny or any other challenges as far as because of you were a female? Um, for the most part, I really feel like as a private keeper, it wasn't really that bad um, because we kind of kept to ourselves. We kind of did our own thing. Um, owning the store now, um, I do find a lot of times that people do come in asking to talk to my husband or, you know, they gravitate uh, when they have questions about, you know, snakes or or uh, monitor large monitor species and whatnot. You know, they they tend to gravitate toward the men that are in the store as opposed to coming directly to me. Um, I, I mean, I, and I don't take any type of offense to it. I really don't. Uh, and like uh, someone had said previously, we I have encountered. You know, I mean, on a daily basis. I mean, you have two men and a woman that walk into the store, and the men take off running when they see a snake, and the woman says, "Oh, cute. Can I touch?" You know what I mean? So it's it's totally it's totally opposite. Um, but when they come to you about, you know, serious inquiries about care and whatnot, um, I do kind of feel like I get a little bit shoved to the back burner. Um, but, I mean, I don't take offense to it. Uh, I've never taken offense to it. Right. Understood. Understandable. Now, something I noticed, too, when I was doing uh, reptile presentations myself, um, what was very interesting is a lot of the young boys um, were more afraid of touching or encountering animals versus young female, uh, you know, like little girls, like their sisters would all run up and want to touch the animals, 
And all the little boys were like, oh, I'm not so sure about this. And that really blew me away when we were doing presentations. And I know some of you uh, ladies are educators as well. Is that something that you found? And I know we have to go to break, so what we're going to do is we're going to let you uh, ladies meditate on that question. Uh, what was your encounters when you were educating children? Uh, did you find that the young females were more interested or young males were interested more? And uh, with that, we're going to go to our next break, and we'll see you guys in a few more minutes. All right, and we're back from our break. Sorry about that, guys. We take a break so we can catch up on the live viewing feed. That way, comments and questions, when they come in, they can come in and um, have some time to, to actually come up. I actually have a statement coming from Wendy Shoon from viewing us on YouTube, and this statement comes out to Denise. 
Um, it says, when Denise said about her mother touching a ball python, my mother was the same way at her funeral. We had pictures of my mom posted, and one of them was my son holding a ball python and my mom laying in her hospital bed and touching it for the very first time. It was definitely fun and enjoying. Um, so, Denise, uh, uh, your story actually touched somebody out there, um, and that was from Wendy Shoon. Thanks for viewing us, Wendy. Um, if you have any other questions, be sure to post. I got one from uh, a co-author of mine. Um, we co-authored together the guide to Honduran milk snakes. Douglas Mong, he's viewing us from YouTube. Thanks, Doug. Um, he wants to know. He wants to know what kinds of snakes is everyone on the panel working with. Um, so let me go ahead and go through everything. You guys, can, uh, you girls, can make a quick answer to what you're working with at home or in the lab. So. Here we go. Let's go ahead and um, let's start with Melissa Walker. Um, what are you currently working with, Melissa? I'm pretty lame. I only have a king snake. That's it. Just the king snake, huh? Just the king snake. I used to have an eastern, or sorry, a northern garter snake. Um, she passed away a couple years ago of old age, but those, and then I one time had a red tail follow up, but I'm, I'm definitely a gecko person over a snake person, but I do enjoy them. Okay, okay. Um, what about, uh, Melissa number two? Melissa Coakley. Uh, Melissa, <laughs> really, number too two. many Melissas tonight yeah. for me. I knew I was going to, I knew I was going to mix them up, mix them, uh, mix them up. So we do a little bit of everything. We are, we're pretty big with boas, but we also do, um, different rattlesnakes. We've got, um, eastern and western diamondbacks. we We've got uh, pygmy, we've got prairie, um, we've got some eyelash vipers going, so we've got a pretty good rain. Um, I definitely have a soft spot for boas, so we work with the Surinams, Dumerals, Bolivian, and Colombian. Great. And you get, you and your husband, Bill, actually are located where, Melissa? Uh, we're actually a little bit south of Tampa in St. Pete area. Okay. Do you do local shows or? Yeah, we, we're Repticon vendors. <laughs> All right. I'm sure I've seen you there. All right. All right, we have uh, um, Denise. What uh, snakes do you currently work with in the lab or at home? I know you had mentioned you had a ball python at home, but um, what kind of venomous are you actually working with? Strictly uh, coral snakes. One hundred. Phobias, uh, yeah, phobias, phobias, 100%. I have um, a little, uh, I've had up to 230 snakes, so, and still kicking, so that's good. Well, there you go. It's strictly coral snakes, so. And it's strictly coral snake venom that you work with, extractions? That's correct. Very good, very good. And Lindsay, let's go to you. Um, question was, are you currently keeping any snakes? And if so, what types are you currently working with? Um, I do. Uh, I keep a different variety of snakes. Um, uh, I'm mostly um, a boa kind of person. Um, I mean, at the store, we obviously deal with you know all kinds of snakes. Uh, personally, at home right now, I'm working on a uh, Dumeril's boa breeding project, uh, carpet pythons, um, emerald tree boas. Um, green tree pythons, I mean, anything uh, like that. 
um, for the most part. Uh, we order in all kinds of different animals into the store, so everybody gets uh, to experience, you know, the husbandry and caring uh, of all those animals. Um, it, uh, we do do a rattlesnake relocation also. Uh, so we work with Western Diamondback rattlesnakes. Um, we basically, uh, when we get a call, we go out and uh, we, we get the snake. Uh, we take it back to the store, we give it a good meal, let it digest for a day or two, and then we go ahead and release it uh, further away from the city. Uh, that way it won't end up in someone's backyard and uh, face a potential death sentence. Great. Great. So a lot of you, a lot of the women on the panel today is a lot of venomous, and, and which is kind of cool because we have a, another question from Christine Kilroy. Um, she actually wants to know, how long did you work uh, with your mentor before you actually started working on your own with this uh, venomous species? So um, let's start with you, Lindsay. We'll go ahead and start with you. Um, I know you rehome them. Do you keep them long term, or uh, I do not. I do not keep them uh, long term. Uh, we really just, you know, we remove uh, them and uh, feed them, and then we we release them. Um, for the most part, I before we started doing it, uh, it was really just a matter of, you know, just kind of respecting the animal itself, uh, having the appropriate tools. Uh, and knowing, you know, the ins and outs. I did have a friend of mine that did work uh, with venomous snakes, and he did uh, teach us, you know, how to properly use the tools uh, to move them and, and safe ways to transport them and whatnot. Uh, and he did demonstrate this to us uh, quite a few times, I would say, you know, a good 10 or 15 times before we were comfortable giving it a shot. Uh, and then we did that with him uh, for a little while, and that, and you know, because he was actually moving, and he was the guy that everybody would call, and, you know, including animal control, uh, in the city, they would call him to uh, remove the snakes uh, and re-release them elsewhere. Uh, and when he found out he was moving, uh, he decided that he needed someone to take that over. And he went ahead and uh, talked to us and uh, pretty much trained us on how to do it. And so now we, we get those phone calls, especially this time of year, because there's a lot out this time of year. Right, right. Very cool. Um Denise, let me catch you on that. How long did you work uh, um, with a mentor before you just, uh, actually started working by yourself with Venomous? Um, actually, I had, uh, because I'm persistent and very uh, a pain in the neck, actually, when I want something, I just go and go and go. I had the opportunity to start working at a Venom laboratory um, as an intern. And I think it was maybe um, three months after that that I started uh, actually doing venom extractions with Western Diamondback rattlesnakes. So I was completely comfortable with the animals just from the get-go. So my my mentor and trainer, um, what you know, actually was very nice and and flexible and allowed me to just experience everything to the fullest. So um, I've been very lucky. I we. We had a collection of uh, about 850 animals, all venomous snakes, and um, I mean, just very, very lucky. That's that's just plentiful, you know. Met somebody at the right time and was persistent enough that um, I got in, and then uh, I was there. I, I was there for 
Well, let's see, since 2000, since 2000, so up until two years ago when I decided to do my own thing. So, um, very fortunate. <laughs> Great. I actually I want to add one to that. Do you actually, um, or have you thought about mentoring um, somebody underneath your wing to help out, or have you done that? Absolutely. Um, I have a lot of interns, or you know, that ended up getting jobs you know, at zoos. Um, actually, uh, every year I would take in uh, two interns, um, and I would do an internship uh, with them, and they, you know, they both of them went off and got their own venomous license and um, had great experience. So yeah, I'm, and I, I'm always open to teach um, and education, you know, is, is one of my priorities, of course, so um, because that helps with conservation. So, so yeah, absolutely. I've, I've, the only policy I, I had was insurance and they must be uh, above 18 years old. So. Well, that's, well. <laughs> Definitely, right? Yeah, exactly. I wish. All right. <laughs> Melissa Coakley. Melissa Coakley, what about you? Um, how long did you work with Venomous? I'm sure your husband, Bill, or you can answer for the both of you. Yeah, so um, Bill's best friend, Mike, has had the Venomous permit for as long as I've ever heard of him or known him. And um, he's kind of the go-to guy for venomous stuff. So I was around him for probably a good three or four years before I got up the nerve to start getting, you know, a little, uh, okay, let me feed, let me do this, let me use the tongs. And it took a while. It took a long time before I really got comfortable. Um, I am definitely more lizard-oriented. And uh, I recently got a Gila for, for Christmas, so I've been working with him a lot. And uh, I'm a lot more comfortable with him than I am with any of the, the snakes, the venomous snakes. Great, great. Well, it seems like uh, all you ladies put in a, a considerable amount of time. Um, I think Florida State Law has two, either 250 or 400 hours they, you have to put in. A thousand. What was that? It's a thousand. A thousand. Wow. It's a lot of hours. That's a lot of hours. I know um, there's actually some bills going through Illinois State um, who actually had no venomous policy whatsoever. There's a bill going through now trying to get past where they have to do 250 hours and, and do uh, public education speeches in order to keep venomous. So that might be pretty cool to see, considering that state has been not a, no venomous keeping at all. Um, look, kind of looking forward to that. And uh, Melissa Walker, I know you keep one king snake, but have you worked with uh, venomous before? No, I can't say I have. All right, all right, and I think that's the end of Q and A. Let me double check here real quick. Uh, all right, yeah, that's about that's about it on Q and A right at the moment. John, we got a few <laughs> more questions for our panelists. Yeah, actually, we have some Q and A. Uh, one from Ray Morgan. Yeah. Uh, for Denise, actually, uh, wants to know how the baby corals are doing. <laughs> I love Ray. <laughs> <laughs> um, everything's going great. I actually have had some downtime to stay home and uh, actually write my paper 
um, and also an upcoming book on husbandry and care, um, breeding, and also raising uh, coral snakes. So, so babies are doing great. Everything's doing really good. Awesome. So, awesome. Let Ray know that um, I'll I'll send him a copy of the draft before I I, I publish. <laughs> oh yeah, for sure, for sure. And uh, Bruce Riker actually has another question for you, Denise. Uh, he wants to ask about your recovery from uh, the coral bite that uh, put you in the hospital. If you could, if you wanted to answer that. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, actually, um, my coral snake bite was pretty uh, traumatic because um, I didn't see effects to the venom until almost 32 hours later. Um, and I actually went into the hospital and was released the next day, and then things started going downhill. But recovery time after um, leaving ICU was probably a good week or so. It wasn't that bad. The worst bite was the the Chinese cobra bite, which you know that I was out of work for several months. Um, and I couldn't use my hand. Obviously, they, I had to. I ended up having a fasciotomy. So, any venom, you know, time is tissue. So, as you're getting any venom, things are gonna go well very quickly. Yeah, for sure. And I remember that time that you were out of work. That was, yeah, that was not a. That was a, yeah. <clears throat> Close call on that one. It was yeah, it was pretty bad. That was the snake bite that my parents finally decided that, you know, they're like, you know, we just can't, we can't support this anymore. We we're watching die, technically, yeah. and get brought back. So. Um, but do they really? But, yeah. under, do they understand how many lives you're actually saving by extracting coral snake venom too? They really. Um, for for me, that's the reason pointed that out. But they really don't. They don't understand that. You know, they they said, "Well, we'd rather have you than somebody we don't know." <laughs> so, um, but yeah, they 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 kind of do. But still, you know, it's very hard on them. Um, my friends and my significant other to just watch me um, be hurt. So it's hard for anybody that you care about. Absolutely, absolutely. Anything else on uh, Q and A on your side there, John? Um, no, I think that was it. Um, yep, looks like that's all for Q&A on my side. Okay. Well, I have a question for the panelists, and, and is I'm a father of, of two young daughters, and um, I think a, a lot of the women on the panel may be um, some of the women that my, my children may look up to. Um, but my question is, being a woman in her pediculture or herpetology, who's your kind of shining star that you looked at when you came in? Was there any any woman in particular that you wanted to follow suit with and, and really kind of become her? And let's start with Melissa Walker. Um, is there any shining star or woman that you wanted to um, kind of follow suit with? I grew up in the era of where Animal Planet actually showed animal shows, and I became, you know, obsessed with the crocodile hunter. And I always wanted to be not his wife per se, but I, I really looked up to Terry, and I wanted to be somebody like her. 
who understood all the needs of having all these animals and the way that our environment works with having all these animals around. It's not just, you know, oh, that snake is, is creepy or, you know, why do we have, you know, all these flies? There's a reason for everything behind it. And I felt like her as a person really represented the way I feel about animals and the environment in general. Wow. Yeah, Crocodile Hunter was uh, probably one of my favorites, too, as well, is uh, Shock Cousteau. Um, that was always a great time. Melissa Coakley, um, was there any woman in particular that um, you kind of looked up to? Uh, actually, I, I, I really don't think involved in, in herbs. Um, I have to say the role model that I really followed as I was getting into it was a field herper who also did a lot of breeding named Jim Caveney. Wow. Cool. Cool. And uh, Denise, was there anybody um, on the female, female side? I mean, we're actually looking at time frames when um, Denise and I actually talked about this last night, uh, where the percentage of women in herpetoculture and herpetology were low. So, um, it's growing over and over again. I know when I got into herpetoculture back in the 90s, I would say it was 20 to 1 guys. For every 20 guys, there was maybe one woman at a table vending or even there with her boyfriend. But going back, Denise, was there anybody that you kind of looked up to? Absolutely. Um, and I still am uh, born from the Reptile World Serpentarium in Kissimmee, Florida. Um, She's exceptional. She's she's Hispanic too, like me. So, um, I you know I I bonded very quickly with her, and um, her and her husband George Van Horn actually took me in under the wings. They were they were very welcoming. So, um, and Rosa you know also does some of the venom extractions, and she she raises babies and um, just you know and all. Uh, all around, just a very, very smart person uh, and very experienced in venomous snakes. So, so Rosa, Rosa Van Horn. So I hope maybe she's watching. <laughs> you never know. You never know. John and I got an, uh, mm -hmm. an email, or John got an email from somebody we didn't uh, particularly think was ever going to watch our show. Huh, yeah, John? That, that one's still just wow. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> We may release that. That that email will probably be released as a special show. So um. yeah, that that was a deep email. Um, so now, <laughs> speaking of uh, deep thoughts and whatnot, uh, and talking about the women and who inspired them, uh, I would like to ask the panel as far as uh, the upcoming females. Excuse me. Uh, to upcoming females that are interested in possibly getting to, getting into her pediculture, uh, Lindsay, let's start with you first. What would you say would be in say a paragraph? What would you say would be um, your your words of advice to an aspiring uh, herpeticulturist or herpetologist coming into the trade? Uh, my words of advice, I mean, truthfully, I speak words of advice uh, pretty much all day, every day. Um, 
but I mean, my the most important thing is that if you really want to do something, you can do it, uh, and not to let anybody tell you that you can't. Um, as long as you're dedicated to it and you're persistent, um, it can be done. Uh, just like Denise was saying, um, everybody thought she was nuts. Um, but I mean, don't ever let anyone discourage you and tell you that there's anything wrong. Uh, with what you're interested in. I think the biggest problem is is that women sometimes do feel like an outcast uh, in the herpetic culture, uh, the industry in general. Um, we do feel kind of outcasted a little bit uh, because like you were saying, um, not too long ago it was probably what, you know, for every 10 men there was one woman. Uh, the odds are evening out a little bit now. Uh, it's getting better, uh, but for the most part my biggest word uh, of advice is uh, do your research and um, Never let anybody tell you that you uh, cannot do something because you can. Very cool. And very true words, very true words. Uh, Melissa Coakley, what would be your uh, words of inspiration to upcoming herpeticulturist or herpetologist? Oh, your microphone's muted, Melissa. How's that? That's better. Yeah, I second that. I, I think that's fantastic. They say go for it, but I'd say that it's important to make some connections along the way, some contacts, and you know maybe join the Herp Society, get involved, get get some get some people on your side in case you need. Uh, or a little, like for example, when I first started keeping herps, I had no friends at all into reptiles, and leaving my house for more than two or three days was impossible. Um, so, you know, getting those contacts, getting some support system is, is a great way to go, and, and I think it's fantastic. Very true, and I like how you brought up the uh, Herb Society thing, because that's something that uh, James and I have talked about a few times, is it seems there's either less and less Herb Societies, or they're just not um, reaching out to the public like they used to. But yours is different. Yours uh, seems to be really active, really out there in the community. And it seems like a lot of the herb societies are almost fading away. Have you noticed the same thing at all? Yeah, we used to have something called the League of uh, Florida Herb Societies. And there were you know, a big, long list of herb societies in the state. And now, as far as I know, there are, I think, four or five active groups still in the state of Florida. Um, herp in general, there's a couple turtle clubs too, but I know as far as herp societies, there we had probably at one time maybe two dozen. Wow, that's wild. Now, uh, Denise, what would be your uh, words of inspiration to female herpeticulturists and herpetologists that are up and coming, or in, or even interested in getting into snakes or lizards at all, not not just necessarily the venomous arenas. Um, never take no for an answer. Um, you know, be persistent and uh, don't let uh, anybody discourage you. Um, you know, when I, you know, when I started back uh, in the early uh, 2000, um, I had a lot of negative comments, especially uh, uh, from other uh, fellow people that do venom extractions and venom production. Um, but, you know, never take no for an answer. Keep your head up. And uh, like Melissa said, you know, get, get the most experience that you can from uh, anything. I mean, volunteering, 
at a zoo or volunteering at an animal sanctuary, um, what, whatever you can do to get experience uh, uh, is pretty much my advice. And again, don't no, no for an answer is not acceptable. Right, right, understandable. And uh, now, Melissa Walker, uh, what do you think uh, would be some words of advice to up-and-coming herpetologists uh, and herpetologists? Kind of have the mentality of anything you can do, I can do better. And it's not saying that you're better than everybody else, but it's showing that you're striving to be the best that you can be. I always tell people it doesn't matter what you want to do in life. You need to put 110% behind that and show that you're beyond dedicated to whatever your choice in life happens to be. And if your choice in life is to be active in the reptile community, you need to show that. You need to show proof that you are dedicated to doing it, that you have the knowledge to do that, that you are willing to take a bullet for if you're wrong and say you're wrong and learn why you're wrong and, you know, grow from that, be able to grow as a person and accept you know, other people's experiences and knowledge is something that, you know, you need to do. You can't go in just going, yes, I'm awesome, and I am just, for lack of better words, I'm just an awesome person. But the thing is, is that you have to remember everybody starts somewhere. And even as a girl, you start as a girl, and you got to remember that you're in a man's world, and we're trying to make this, you know, a co-op world. Yeah, for sure. Now, speaking of making it a co-op world, looking forward into the next you know, five to ten years, what, uh, do you see any significant changes uh, coming for women in her pediculture at all, or do you think it's pretty much just going to be a plateau, or what do you see happening here? I see a huge increase in women's interest in reptiles, and I think it has a lot to do with social media. I think that uh, even young girls and, and women who thought that it was not okay to like exotic animals are realizing more and more women and young girls like these things and hey it's okay to have these it's okay to be interested in these and want to own these and learn from these animals so I think social media as much as it downplays how terrible you know the snakes and the evolution ladies and everything is um, I think it has helped an awful lot especially you know in the female demographic showing people that hey we can do this you know you're allowed to like these animals very cool and very true. I definitely agree with you there. Now, speaking of uh, social media, Lindsay, and directly uh, kind of leading into my next upcoming question here, uh, Lindsay, you uh, are the co-op operator there for um, the Cold-Blooded Vixens and doing a lot of public outreach for uh, females in her pediculture and stuff like that. What do you see in the next uh, five years or so for uh, women in her pediculture? I mean, truthfully, I think it's, I mean, I, I really think it's just going to explode. I mean, I think that, you know, we're, we're probably going to be uh, an even 50-50. I mean, uh, truth be told, when I first started out, I didn't have another woman to look up to. I was really just kind of going with the flow and, and doing my research and watching what other people were doing. And uh, I think that, you know, she was 100% correct when she said that social media is definitely to thank for more women uh, getting into uh, her pediculture and keeping uh, reptiles and whatnot. Um, social media is is definitely um, a huge, um, I mean, it's, it's a huge uh, step um, for, you know, like she was saying, you know, see people, women posting themselves with their animals online and, and you know, and they're, they're like, oh, well, you know, I would like to own something like that too. I'm not going to be the only outcast who, who does it. 
And so, I mean, I really do, um, and on a daily basis at my store, I mean, I do witness, you know, a lot of women buying their very first reptiles. And and so, like I said, I think it's going to be a huge, huge uh, surge uh, as far as uh, numbers and uh, percent of, you know, percentage uh, of men versus percentage of women. I, I think we're getting really close to the 50-50 mark. For sure, for sure. Now, as far as... Um, uh, giving a shout out to Marcy Sowers uh, from the Q&A. She said, thank you, awesome ladies and other participants. I haven't been able to listen much dealing with other issues, but appreciate everything I have been able to hear. And that's from Marcy Sowers. And uh, Marcy actually featured on Reptile Park Canada, I believe, with the um, Keeping Herps in Alaska article that she did with us. Now, uh, Denise, what do you think about the next five to ten years as far as uh, women and herpeticulture? Um, I think it's growing, definitely. Um, I see a lot more young ladies coming into the field. Um, and it's actually very, very nice to see. The more, you know, every time I go to any uh, show, uh, reptile show, reptile expo, or any conference, I'm, I'm starting to see a lot more women involved, which is wonderful. Um, actually, I just got um, an email, uh, a, a private message on Facebook last night um, of, of, a, of a father um, who uh, has a website, and his daughter's like the main picture. But he was, you know, he was saying that, uh, uh, you know, seeing women like me and all the other ladies on the panel here. It's actually a great influence for future herpetology, uh, future women in herpetology, which is wonderful. There's a lot of good and positive uh, and very, very uh, involved women in the field, which is, you know, was, was unheard of before. Very true. Very true. Now, uh, I think uh, Jimmy is ready uh, to go with another question. Is that correct, James, or...? Um, I had to step away for a moment, but did okay. you, uh, did you, I think you covered looking forward in the next 10 years, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, and, uh, I have another question lined up if, uh, we have enough time for it, James. Yeah, um, okay. I think we do. Uh, okay. We got cool. one more question, and then, uh, we'll take a short break, and then we'll come back with Q&A, make sure everybody gets their questions in, um, between <laughs> now and the next few minutes, and... When we come back from break, we'll uh, we'll go ahead and get those answered for you. Yeah, that was one thing I did want to mention is uh, right after this next question that I ask our panel, we are going to go to a commercial break, and during that commercial break is when uh, we're going to go check the Q and A's uh, and all the question and comments areas, uh, gather up all those questions. We're going to come back, pose those questions to our panels, and then we're going to go ahead and wrap up the show uh, with the finale. And uh, then we'll be checking out uh, until next week. So with that said, the next panel question I have is, um, and it's kind of weird coming from my side of the fence because, you know, obviously I'm a male. Um, so what do you guys, what is your take on the sexual aspects of being a female in her pediculture? Because we do see um, calendars and things of that nature pop up with, you know, the what could be considered overly sexualized posing females and whatnot. 
And there may be a reptile in the picture, but it's quite obvious that the reptile in the picture is not the focus of the actual photograph. So, with that said, and being completely feeling awkward now, I'm just going to shut my camera off to a really huge bright red, and uh, let uh, we're going to start with Denise uh, for that question. I wonder why he started me with that question. <laughs> Probably because he's referring to uh, to the calendar. Yes. Um, well. No, actually, it wasn't. I have to stop her right here. It wasn't Denise's calendar. It was actually the other one that was actually produced by uh, males uh, uh, photographers and not female photographers. Because I have a different feeling. If it's a female photographer putting it out, then I don't feel so creepy and weird. But when it's a guy photographing, that's just kind of weird. So. Okay, go ahead, Denise. <laughs> well, um, I, I think definitely uh, uh, sexuality and women and reptiles has gotten a lot of out of control. Um, uh, I, uh, of, of course, you know, a lot of people uh, look at women and, you know, they think, oh, you know, she's, you know, she's just doing it just to show off, or uh, you know, it's just uh, it's it's an interesting, it's very interesting because I get a lot of disgusting messages sometimes from fellow herpers. I mean, they think that uh, they think it's okay to uh, approach a woman and and be absolutely inappropriate just because you know you're doing uh, work with animals and a calendar. Um, the calendar actually that um, I'm working on and going to be working on, uh, hopefully we'll get a thousand likes. But um, we did it back in 2011 and it's, it was actually very, very successful. So successful that, um, you know, everybody to do it again. But it is it is a hard and very uh, weird area to get into because you know we want the audience, we want people to see that um, we can be professional, absolutely. But I have seen some some very very uh, sketchy pictures out there, uh, women with no clothing and the animal. You know, of course, um, uh, some beautiful photos, but at the same time, it attracts the wrong audience as well. Yeah, for sure. And now, um, as far as your experiences are concerned with that, you know, um, where do we draw the line as far as uh, taste is concerned? You know, because you said a lot of it, you know, a lot of the photographs that we were seeing were, you know, completely nude females and, you know, and then the animal present as well. You know, and a lot of your calendar, it was like, you know, um, reminiscent to me anyway of like some of the old um, Edgar Rice Burroughs Tarzan covers you know that kind of you know where it was Jungle Jane female you know still it was a strong female image it wasn't like you know over sexualized I guess in your calendar for my taste anyway yeah it, it wasn't um, we tried our best to not not get too crazy sexual actually all of the women in the calendar um, were all 
professionals in the field. Um, all of us are. So some of them worked at zoos and uh, uh, you know uh, uh, private uh, venom collection. Um, so um, most of the pictures and the, and the things that I'm seeing now are just you know. Um, mostly to show off women's bodies and it exposed way too much sexuality, I think. Um, but yeah, you know, uh, keeping it keeping it decent enough, you know, where where somebody can go to a, a zoo and open the calendar and not have that, um, I think that should be what people, you know, should target more. So, and we, you know, we're gonna try, we're gonna do exactly what we did last time if we if we end up doing it and keep it very professional and only work with women that are actually in the field um, so none of us were models so yeah uh, which is pretty amazing you know a lot of these women are beautiful and not only just beautiful inside and out but it's also smart extremely smart women so oh I'm yeah very proud of that. for sure now um, as far as um Lindsay, what what's your experiences as far as uh, you know the sexuality and uh, that kind of thing with the, the calendars that you've been doing over there? Well, I mean it, exactly what Denise was saying. Uh, a lot of times um, we come across images, and I mean even with just submissions, <clears throat> uh, sometimes over at Cold Blood Vixens. And, and when I first hopped on board with uh, Courtney to help her out, uh, she told me, you know, just use your discretion um, because even though it says it is an 18 plus site. Uh, there are still, you know, some younger people, and, and we really don't, uh, we use our discretion. Uh, we do get people who send us some pretty racy-looking uh, photos uh, with animals that, you know, I probably wouldn't be comfortable with in, in my region of the area that they're photographed in. Um, but, I, you know, to, to pretty much sensationalize, you know, uh, women who are, you know, just flat naked, uh, with an animal on them, um, it, it kind of it kind of puts a damper on uh, what women in herpeticulture are really about. Um, so we really got to get to the point to where um, we're looking at the photos, uh, but most importantly, we're actually seeing the emphasis on the animal. And if it so happens to be a beautiful woman uh, holding the animal, uh, that's even better. Uh, that's twice as good. Um, but I mean, as far as you know completely sexualizing photos and, and calendars and whatnot. Um, I, I think it kinda it kinda sets us back a little bit. Um, there are some there is some tasteful photography that we see, you know, with women who are, you know, partially clothed and, and whatnot. Um, but I mean really it's it's all about the artist. It's all about how the model presents themselves. Um, and and like I said, if the emphasis is really on the animal itself and the woman just happens to kind of be, you know, it's the animal's photo and the woman is the prop. Uh, then you know it, it's 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 a totally different you know it's a, it's a totally right. different situation at that point. I actually have I, I actually have to touch on this too, but isn't society today too growing to less and less clothing for women? I mean, is that we don't just see it in the, her her pediculture or herpetology or anything like that. We see this in, in society as well. We see it in beer commercials. We see it, you know, posted all over the internet. So it's not. I don't think it's just a, a herpetoculture or herpetology world type thing, um, with provocative looks and pictures and stuff like that. Um, Melissa Walker, can you touch on uh, um, this subject? I feel like for so many years, women were 
using our bodies to get the attention that we felt that we needed. And now that we are still doing that in like this particular instance, it's taking away from what we are trying to accomplish. I feel like, for, and there's nothing wrong with, you know, showing off your body. If you're an absolutely beautiful girl, go ahead and do it. But I feel like, especially in very um, sexual poses and being, you know, partially nude to nude, I feel like that takes away from your credibility as being a person in this community and stating that you are a professional. To me, being in that situation is not very professional. And it might be because of the fact that I work in such a professional situation working in research and development, you don't conduct yourself that way. So to me, I feel like it's a little more demeaning. It takes away from your whole point of trying to promote yourself as being, you know, a strong individual, a strong person, a person who can do all this. I feel like showing your body in that way sort of takes away from it. Right. Which a lot of people will agree to. And, and, and you know, being a father of two young daughters, uh, I'm not looking forward to my teen, their teenage and in, in early twenties, but, uh, I have to agree that sometimes there's a, a small line that can be drawn um, between too less clothing, too much clothing, too provocative. Um, so I, I definitely agree. I think um, when we're starting to be professional, especially women and herpeticulture and herpetology being professional, um, there's kind of a fine line. But that's what society like goes back to my original point too is it's society too as well um, I know here in Tampa Bay one of the biggest things on the internet here was a 28 year old um, auctioning off her virginity she's a med student so I mean it's you know really weird how society has really come along and I don't think um, the provocativeness with reptiles has changed all that much from a few years ago, yeah, quality of the pictures get better, but when we look back into the 90s and, and some of the earlier pictures, they, they really haven't changed to, not that I've seen from less clothing. Melissa Coakley, can you touch on that a little bit? Um, yeah, I would say that uh, I, I have to appreciate what Denise said about the, the calendar that she was working with in him. I think that's pretty cool to actually have, you know, somebody who has a background in this and just kind of, you know, getting into it in a different, more artistic way. I think that's kind of neat. But I agree with you also, James, that there's a line. There's definitely a line there. So um, you can get into dangerous territory pretty easily. Right. Yeah, but is it any different than a, a fireman's fire calendar for you women? I mean, I grew up in New York. Almost every firehouse had nothing but calendars to raise money. So, I mean, is it really any different? Yeah, it's probably not. I mean, again, and, that, and that's kind of why it might be cool to have people who are actually in uh, the hobby or are actually involved in some way. Right, right, absolutely. It looks like uh, Melissa Amarello has joined us again. Melissa, are you there? Yeah, I'm here. Awesome. <laughs> so, right. uh, James, did you want to go ahead and uh, pitch those couple of questions to Melissa Amarello, or actually, we'll, we'll just let her go ahead and touch on this last one. Just wanted to make sure all our audience knows Melissa is back if they wanted to ask any questions. Um, Melissa, we were talking about 
um, seductive photos, provocative photos in the herp world with women. And, and we just kind of want to get your point of view on is there a fine line between being too provocative and um, just kind of outright disgusting? Or how, how do you view, you know, these types of photos in the future and women in herpeticulture and herpetology in the future? Yeah, I, I think there is a fine line. I mean, I agree with what was already said that I think it's great if, if it's the woman's choice and she wants to show off her body. She should have every right to do that. I think that's cool. Um, I think the difference between the fireman's calendar that you brought up and the, the fact that this is women is that, you know, we have this history of being sexualized objects that, that men don't have. And so I think that's the difference. And in this field, which you guys probably touched on while I was gone, <laughs> um, you know, it's been kind of weird, especially in the science. Well, I guess in, in herpetoculture, too. But... You know, I, I remember getting told at the first meeting I attended that the only reason women get into this is because the animals are replacement babies. So we've sort of had to fight to be accepted as professionals in this field. And so I feel like even though I know that a lot of women just like to do that, it does kind of take away from that for some people. Like, I can look at those images, and I think they're really neat. It's beautiful art. Um, but I think for a lot of other people, they're like, see? I told you, girls are just in it because they're like weird and stuff. Well, aren't we all weird? Well, yeah. Somebody, somebody posted on John's wall today that all animal people are weird. <laughs> Who was that? I know it's somebody up here on the panel posted that. Uh, that was me. <laughs> oh yeah, that's right. It was Denise. That was me. Perhaps I think we're very eccentric people, so. Um, you know, uh, back in the lab, we called the uh, the people the island of the misfits toys. All of us are just there's something out there. So everybody's really uh, uh, a lot of people are introverted. A lot of people are way too outgoing. Or <laughs> we're just uh, we're just a interesting group of people to say the least. And I rather spend most of my time with animals. So. I guess socially, that's why most of us are are not that don't do that well in public. Well, I do. I don't at least. <laughs> no, I don't operate well in public at all. I I still can't believe that James convinced me to do live camera shows or you know live radio broadcasts like this. This is just insane to me. It's like I'm with you. You know, it's like cool. I'm good with the animals, people. Yeah, no, not so much. I'm. But this is actually a really, a truly uh, great difference for me because I actually enjoy you people, and you know we actually get to talk about reptiles, so it's actually entertaining and it's great conversations. I don't have to put up with you know monotony of standing in line and you know listening to the checkout counter lady tell me about her you know blue-haired grandmother and stuff. Well, uh, the best the best part of it is we can actually put um, text to faces and, and voices to faces now. Um, yeah, no kidding. No I, I spent many uh, PMs with everybody on the panel here over the past few days, so I can actually um, put a put a face with a text and, and some voice with the with the face too as well. So that's always great. Um, all right, John, uh, let's go ahead and take a short break here. Probably about two or three minute break. Our live audience, go ahead, get your comments in on YouTube, G Plus, Facebook, the Q and A. 
Um, gentlemen, now, when we come back, we'll go straight to Q&A, and then we're going to wrap things up. Thanks a lot. Thanks for tuning in. All right. Are we ready with Jamie's? Yep, we're back. I actually have a question. This one's from Melissa Coakley. Um, it's from Douglas Mong again. What's the largest coral snake Melissa has ever seen to date? Oh, the largest coral snake was in Peru, actually. Um, God, I don't know. Maybe three feet? I could find a picture of it. <laughs> Well, if you do, post it on uh, Reptile Living Room uh, Facebook page and or send it to John, and we'll get it up there, and then Doug can go ahead and see that. So, John, you got, any, you got anything on Q&A? Uh, no, nothing on Q&A from my side. I have <coughs> Everybody can go to the YouTube channel and look at the statements. Nothing really on questions. I appreciate everybody watching. Um, we've had a great show. I, I totally appreciate all you lovely ladies coming on here and, and, and meeting with John and I. I. I certainly had to twist John's arm into being on camera for this one. So, yeah, yeah uh, definitely. It was rough. But if, if there's uh, – John, you got any last words for our guests and our panel, and we can go ahead and wrap this show up and uh, look for – oh, by the way, 
talk about next week. Who do we have next week? Oh my uh, Next week. Um, Dr. Sh uh, McCormick? Yes, Dr. Sean McCormick uh, from Ask the Vet uh, is going to come on, and I believe Dr. Bogoslavsky is also going to be on, uh, right. on the air with us as well. Um, there was more, and I'm trying to remember. And, of course, next week we'll have the Hobbyist Spotlight, where we actually pick a hobbyist. They come on, and they show off a couple of their animals. Melissa, I, I want to get you on to show off some of your geckos. So I'll be in contact with you. Maybe we can work between now and then and getting your camera all set up and uh, get some good pictures. So I definitely have you in mind on uh, Gecko's uh, topic that we actually have coming up in the next couple months. Well, I have plenty of Geckos to show off. The room is kind of full. Well, that would be yeah. great. <laughs> so, all right. Um, anything else? Chad, is your mic working? You, you can uh, go ahead and chat, but uh, um, Chad, oh, there he is. His mic's working. He's our executive producer of the show. He kind of keeps John and I in line during the show and makes sure we don't babble on like a bunch of monkeys. So uh, um, everybody give Chad a shout-out there. And um, John, last words. It's all up to you. <laughs> Uh, yeah, just thank you to all our guests. Uh, would like to say thank you once again to our sponsors, uh, Cold-Blooded Publishing, of course, as well as HerpHouseMag.com. Uh, if you haven't checked out Cold-Blooded Publishing, um, you can go to Cold-Blooded Publishing's uh, Facebook fan page there. I'm sure we can uh, throw that up in the show notes or the links uh, in the recorded version of the show. Uh, once again, Definitely thank you to all of our guests, especially uh, Denise Abreu, uh, Lindsay from Cold-Blooded Vixens, uh, Melissa Amarello from uh, Social Snakes. Melissa, what is the uh, official website for Social Snakes now? If you could remind me, please. So the Social Snakes website is at socialsnakes.org, but we're actually launching a new nonprofit conservation group, and that is Advocates for Snake Preservation, and that will be at snakepreservation.org. Snakepreservation.org. Okay, very cool. I knew there was a new website coming, and I wanted to make sure we uh, to grab that from you, so we got that now. Awesome. And uh, Chad, I'm sure you can get that up in the show notes. Uh, Melissa, um, your next field herping trip, are we going to do that in uh, Herp House Mag? Because also, Melissa Coakley is our uh, Tales and Trails uh, field herping columnist. Yeah, you got it. Awesome. Very cool. And uh, Melissa Walker, what can we expect to see you? Uh, what shows do you have coming up here that we can expect to see you at? I usually only run the Taylor, Michigan show. Okay. I don't really travel outside of that because Ohio does not seem to like geckos outside of Flipper Geckos. Um, Taylor is, is where everybody seems to know me, so that's where I tend to gravitate to, which Taylor is um, about 10 minutes away from Detroit. So. Gotcha. Gotcha. And uh, now, as far as uh, Lindsay, where do we go to find uh, Cold-Blooded Vixens? That's on uh, Facebook fan page as well? 
Uh, <clears throat> I'm sorry, yes. Uh, on Cold-Blooded Vixens, you can just search as Cold-Blooded Vixens, uh, and it comes right up. Um, okay. It's definitely, there's definitely no mistaking it. It's got about 10, it's all got close to 10,000 likes, so you're going to know that you're in the right place. Um, my store page uh, is the Ark of Alan Lovordo, um, ARK, uh, and um, that's, that's my store. So I handle two uh, pretty big social media websites uh, on a daily basis. Awesome. Great. Great. And uh, we need to get 10,000 likes on Denise's calendar, so uh, definitely check that out in the show notes. Uh, well, definitely it's not Denise's. Let me stop you right there a second, oh. John. It's not Denise's calendar. Um, I'm oh. going to go ahead and promote this right now, and okay. I actually liked it on my Facebook page. So if you guys go to my Facebook page, it's actually posted there. Denise posted a picture. She needs 1,000 likes to actually do a 2016 calendar. Um, I'm going to try to link it on the Reptile Living Room Facebook fan page. Um, make sure you go to her picture, like her picture, let's get her a thousand likes because I want to see that 2016 calendar. Um, so uh, that's for Denise. And also I just wanted to touch on when I was on Cold-Blooded Vixens uh, earlier this week, Lindsay, um, you guys have a contest for 2015 calendar. Is that correct? That is absolutely 100% correct. Um, the submissions, uh, the uh, final submissions will have to be received by uh, September. Um, we did have one come out, I believe it was for last year. Uh, this year we fell a little bit behind. Uh, Courtney was working on an actual uh, website. So uh, that kind of slipped through the cracks for this year, but we are working on getting submissions uh, for next year's calendar, and we're hoping to have all submissions in. Um, by September, and uh, and then we, we'll go through there, we'll sort through them, and, and we'll see which ones uh, we'll go ahead and put in the calendar. Great. Maybe we can touch base with you and uh, you, before uh, you put that calendar out again. So, all right, John, I, I think that's it. Um, again, uh, actually, we have uh, one more comment from Bruce Riker. Uh, you guys rule. Thanks, John, for the invite. <laughs> that's from Bruce Riker over the comment section, or the Q&A section, rather. So there you go, Jimmy. We rule. Uh, yeah, it kind of goes with that song you posted earlier, right? Yeah, 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 the Flowbots. Yeah. <laughs> all right, ladies. Um, you can turn on your mics now and say goodbye to all your fans and uh, say goodbye to uh, our host and, and executive producer. We thank you for coming on, and uh, hopefully we'll be able to get everybody back on again sometime. Thank you so much for having me, and, and thank you, ladies, uh, also. Very, very nice to meet you. I'm looking forward to face, Facebook stalking you. Yeah. <laughs> Facebook stalking. Awesome. <laughs> 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 Thanks, everybody. It was fun. Sorry I couldn't be here for the whole thing. Thanks for coming on, Melissa. Thanks, Melissa, very much, and thanks, Denise. A lot of fun, guys. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, Melissa. Thanks, Melissa and Chad. Hey, Leslie. Thank you guys so much for having me on. Really appreciate it. Wonderful group of people. You guys are awesome. Awesome. Thanks very much.